Good morning, everybody. I hope everybody had a good weekend, a good break. If you weren't on a break, I hope you had a good week. I had a good week. My kids were off school. We uh, went to a pumpkin patch and did some Halloween stuff and fall things here in Lexington. We were, I, li I lived in Florida for 20 years. And before we came to Kentucky, we were chit-chatting with some people about, actually, I think it was, actually, I think we were here looking for the house. I can't remember. And there was a girl who said, well, you know, Lexington's kind of gray and it's the Lexington blues, you got to get used to the cold weather and the gray. I don't know what she was talking about. I think she was trying to keep us out of Lexington because Lexington is one of the nicest cities I've ever lived in. It's sunny right now. It's cold, but it's not that bad. I'd rather have it a little cool. It rains occasionally. It's cloudy occasionally, but it's super sunny most of the time. It's one of the nicest places I've ever lived. We had a great week. Rode our bikes for a whole day one day and went to the pumpkin patch and watched some movies and had fun out here. It's just, it's just a good place to live. I love Lexington. Thanks for having, uh, uh, the comments in the chat about, you know, having me back. <laughs> I didn't know I was so loved. Um, but it was a good little break and now we're back in business. So. Um, I know before I left a week ago that I talked about doing some fall fertility or fall work with warm season grasses, but I can't seem to get through all the cool season grass stuff. So I guess we're going to stick with cool season grasses for a while. Um, I, I think there's 12 articles lined up just for cool season fall. I think it's all fall. Yeah, one, two, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, I have 12 articles just for fall fertility of cool season grasses. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to take some while to get through all these things. I don't know when I'm going to ever get to warm season stuff. For most of my career, I was a warm season person. I never really did any cool season work. Um, I always worked with St. Augustine grass or Bermuda or Bahia or centipede or something like that so we'll eventually get through all the cool season stuff so but right now we're going to stay on it for a little bit so this week will all be cool season stuff a week from today the um show will be at 11 a.m instead of 10 it'll be at 11 but it's for a very good reason we're going to have an author come on and talk about his work on cool season nitrogen uptake and you're going to want to be here for that because the, um, the author is, um, one of the, well, it's, it's hard to rank everybody, but he's certainly one of the foremost turf grass nutritionists that's currently active in academia for sure. So, um, you'll want to be here next Monday for sure to, uh, to be able to listen to him and maybe ask a question or two. So, okay. Um, let's get on to today. So the fall fertility of cool season grasses has been around since the 60s. Well, it was actually around a little bit before the 60s, but the first sort of benchmark paper or benchmark work on fall fertility of cool season grasses 
was conducted by a gentleman who was actually at Kentucky for years before he unfortunately passed away, Dr. A.J. Powell. He did some work in Virginia in 66, 67, about applying nitrogen to cool season grasses in the fall. Because at the time, there were some um, beliefs that applying nitrogen in the fall would harm the grass because the the concept of the belief at the time was um, increasing the growth rate of the grass as it's going into dormancy by applying nitrogen would deplete carbohydrate reserves and um, throw the plant out of balance and you know lend it potentially susceptible to diseases and just lend it potentially susceptible to winter kill and all sorts of various things that were believed and so this uh, dr powell went out and did did a couple studies and published a couple papers on fall fertility of cool season grasses with nitrogen and today we're going to talk about one of his first papers in 67 he published two papers in 67 um we're going to talk about it and and we're going to do it in a little bit of a different way than i've done it in the past i'm going to white out sections of the article that um are less relevant to the point i'm trying to make i guess and kind of keep me focused on the the bullet points of the paper so if you want all the article by all means um join the asa or download it from agronomy uh, this is actually an agronomy journal um but the idea is to kind of maybe keep me focused on things to get this out of here a little quicker than an hour hour and a half and to kind of hit the highlights um, without you know getting diverted in other areas that are less relevant i suppose so if you don't like it let me know um but you'll see sections of the articles and i'll probably do this for a while to see how it goes you'll see sections of the articles that are just whited out um and, and we'll, we'll just see how that goes uh, okay so the article today is entitled physiological and color aspects of turf grasses with fall and winter nitrogen by powell blazer and schmidt in 1967 published in agronomy journal so if you're not a member of the agronomy society of america or american society of agronomy um you know now might be a good time to consider that this is where a lot of our top papers are published I certainly encourage you to um to consider that so the as, as i mentioned um the concept back then was to not apply a whole lot of nitrogen or hardly any nitrogen in the fall because it might kind of throw things out of whack and cause problems and so that's what he talks about in the introduction uh, the popularity of year-round golfing and other sport activities has emphasized the importance of good turf grass color during fall and winter. So, as we as we as we know with um, here, I am I'm right here. As we know with the past papers I've covered, the introduction just kind of sets the stage. So, the, from the aesthetic standpoint, green foliage during frost and cold periods is important in special landscape situations. So, basically, what he's saying is there's occasions in the fall and the winter where green grass is desired either in the lawn or in the golf or whatever the case might be so he continues after october applications of nitrogen for two consecutive years a urea hydrocarbon wax product so this is going to be uhc this uhc i don't know what it was but it 
I, I suspect it's probably similar to what we're familiar with today as um, an IBDU. It may not be an IBDU. I don't know what it was, but it re, they he says later that it um, releases the temperature is is um, less effective on it. In other words, it releases um, despite temperature reductions, similar to what IBDU did for years or still does if you can get a hold of it. So uh, that product gave better winter color than soluble and other slow release in sources. It was suspected that certain ionic forms of nitrogen affect winter color. A preliminary study during 1964-65 winter showed that desirable green bent grass foliage could be obtained during fall and winter in Virginia with bi-weekly in applications from soluble in sources. So he's talking about slow release in sources, he's talking about soluble in sources. So the research, his, his objective in this case was to study the effects of fall and winter in fertilization on color, growth, reserve carbohydrates, and photosynthesis on certain grasses. So we're going to see data on turf grass color, growth, carbohydrates, and photosynthesis. And the reason these are all combined here is because he's trying to provide some information or evidence as to what's actually going on in the plant after the application of nitrogen, not just what happened in color or quality. Did the carbohydrates change as a result of the nitrogen applications or as a result of the timing at which it was applied? Did photosynthesis change? You know, is there a, a way that we can provide some um, information as to why these things are occurring, not just what occurred? So that's the reason he's showing carbohydrate reserves and photosynthesis in this paper. So the literature review I've blocked out and we're just going to go to the materials and methods. So in October 1965, separate experiments with similar treatments were established on bent grass, on a bent grass piney green and Kentucky 31 fescue. So this Kentucky 31, as I'm going to mention each time it ever comes up, is not a grass that we recommend in Kentucky at all for, for home lawns. Might have been in the 60s, might have been 70s, who knows. But nowadays it's turf type tall fescue. Please do not use Kentucky 31 in your home lawn. It is not a... Uh, turf grass that is anywhere remotely good at, as the newer varieties it, in whether it's uh, nutrient needs or pesticide needs or uh, mowing frequencies. Um, it's not a, not a turf grass just because that's Kentucky doesn't mean you need to use it in Kentucky for home lawns. Anyway. Um, so it was done at Blacksburg in a newly constructed bent grass green at Martinsville. And this is in Virginia. So we're looking at Martinsville is on the very southern border, right kind of in the middle of Virginia, at the south on the line. And Blacksburg's more to the northwest of Martinsville. So that's kind of the setting where he did this work. It says adequate P and K were maintained, and the pH range was from 6 to 6.5. Now, back in the 60s and even 70s, a lot of the papers didn't provide the information that we're used to reading today. So when he says adequate P and K were maintained, we, we don't know what they were the malic extractants hadn't even been developed in the 60s yet um many of the extractants we're used to today hadn't been developed yet so we don't know what they were and, and it's that's very common back then to have sort of vagueness in the in the information you'll see in the data in this paper that there's not any statistical separations so it's it's you know obviously that wouldn't be allowed today but um back then it was common and so I'm going to do my best to kind of work our way through here and provide the, the, the take-home messages as to what Dr. Powell found. But um, that don't get too frustrated or out of whack if, if you've, you're looking for information that they didn't provide. Um, I'd like to know what the phosphorus was and the K work, obviously these things. Um, but they didn't 
tell us what they were. And even if they did tell us, it probably wouldn't be relevant to what we're talking about today because we would be trying to compare it to what we're used to today with Malix and so forth, which didn't exist back then. Um, visual color estimates and reflectance color measurements were generally taken each month. So here, I'll just left this in. The, the reflectometer <laughs> developed by VPI Turf Research Section consisted of an opened-in box containing two incandescent lamps with selenium photocell mounted and da-da-da. So this is really one of the first papers, first studies, um, maybe there's one before this, but one of the first papers that used a photo box or a light box to take photos of the turf. Um, and he kind of explains what they did here on that. But that they did, they did the um, reflectance of the grass um, using a photo box. I'm going to zoom into the treatments because it's critical that we understand um, what the treatments were and what they did. They're going to talk primarily about treatment one and treatment five. Okay. But what they did in Virginia in the 60s was they did one. They, so the units and okay, the units here are a little bit odd too. Okay. So let me explain it. Total nitrogen per 200 square meters, and it's in kilograms. But roughly speaking, when it's in 200 square meters, each each number here, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, five, and 10 kilograms of nitrogen is one pound of N per thousand square feet. So when you see one kilogram, that's one pound of N, and 10 is 10 pounds of N. Okay. Hopefully that makes it a little easier to understand some of these units. But what Dr. Powell did was he applied, treatment one was applied in October only, and he applied one pound of N in October. Okay. Then he had a second treatment where he applied one pound in October, no, I'm sorry, October in December, which is the two pound kilogram. So one in October, one in December. Then he had one in October, one in December, one in February. And then he had one in October, one in November, one in December, one in January, one in February. So that's one pound a month from October to February. And then he had two pounds each month, October, November, December, January, and February. So this one, this one pound a month just in October versus this two pounds a month every month from October to February. So he's applying nitrogen every single month at, at two pounds a in, even in this January and February. And he's applying, and that one of the treatments, treatment one, he applied only one pound in October and that was it. So you can kind of see the setup is that, and he used, and he applied ammonium nitrate for those that are listening. He used ammonium nitrate. He has a couple more treatments in here, but he doesn't really talk about these a whole lot. This is the slow release form um, of nitrogen. He applied 10 pounds once in October, um, but he doesn't really go into that in a, in a lot of information, a lot of detail. He really talks about treatment one and treatment five. Now, the guest that's going to come on in, on Monday, a week from today, <clears throat> is going to talk about the the percentages of uptakes or the the you know how much of the nitrogen we applied actually gets taken up this paper was sort of one of the benchmark papers where we talked about the influence on the grass and he, and basically the nuts and bolts of it are going to be yeah the grass looked really well really good um the guest on monday is going to say well hold on a second yeah it looked good but there's a lot more risk involved when we're applying nitrogen in the fall than than we previously measured or previously we were aware of um, so that's something that's not in this paper. He just talks about what happened in the turf. But understand, you're applying 10 pounds of nitrogen from October through February, and, but we're and we're not looking at the potential environmental risk involved with that or the efficiency of that of that application at all. So um, we're just talking about the turf grass response to it. Okay, let me zoom back out here. 
So visual color estimate, I already talked about visual color estimates. They basically did them. They don't provide the rankings or the ratings, zero to nine or one to 10 or one to nine. They don't tell us how they did that. And again, that's was common back then. They've, we've since refined that method and we kind of have a general idea. When a six is a six, we know what it, we know what it is. But in this case, we don't have that. Okay. So that's basically what they did. <clears throat> They're in Virginia. They're applying it to two different um, turf grasses. They're measuring color and quality and reflectance and carbohydrates and, um, and photosynthesis. And they applied nitrogen at varying rates um, at different months. Okay. So let's get to the results. The color and yield trends were similar to fescue um, for fescue and bent grass. Okay. Each increment of nitrogen improved foliage color. The visual ratings gave broader differences in reflectance. Okay. Reflectance data show that color from all treatments decreased from November to February and then increased until April. Applying two pounds of nitrogen per thousand square feet monthly gave very good color and slightly better color than the one kilogram addition T4. Okay. Some discoloration of bent grass during late spring occurred with the high rates of soluble in. So, so, so some, some, this T5 rating had some discoloration, um, in the late spring, but when he's comparing T5 to T4, he's talking about applying one pound a month versus playing two pounds a month. And what he's saying is, is that the, um, applying two pounds every month gave slightly better color than applying one pound every month. So that's 10 pounds total versus five pounds total. You're getting slightly better quality. Let's look at these graphs. Um, we're going to, what he's talking about are these graphs right in here. See if I can get over here or not and get it, get this on the screen. Okay. So these are the color ratings. We're going to look at T1, which is right here. T5, which is over here on this graph. These are the same things. They just didn't put them all in the same graph. And then T4, which is right here. Okay. T1, which was applied only one, one pound right here in October, it, saw, it had some color in the, the, on the x-axis. We're looking at November, December, January, February, March, April, and May. And on the y-axis, we're looking at visual color ratings or color by reflectance. Let's just look at the color ratings. And we're going basically over time. So it does provide uh, color in October and November, and then it starts to go down. And by, by spring, the one pound in October um, basically had, it says zero color rating. So I'm assuming it was just completely dormant brown. Whereas the 10 pound, so two pounds every month is this T5 rate, this T5 bar here, line here. And it stayed, it stayed um, quite high. Oh, whoops. I guess this, oh, I'm sorry. Let me erase that. It goes, it goes, it goes high and then it goes down. It's kind of hard to see these, these, which ones are which, because the way they did things back then. This line actually goes up and then goes down. This is the discoloration he observed using 10 pounds in the spring, 10 pounds, and then he measured it in the spring. Okay, the T4 saw something similar. We're applying one pound a month, and then it goes down in the spring. Okay, so we saw a lot of good color throughout the winter using 10 pounds or five pounds, but then we see a reduction in the spring, okay, versus one pound. So basically what they're saying is one pound in October probably wasn't enough 10 pounds provided really good color and then declined five pounds provided really good color and then also declined in other words there really wasn't much benefit beyond applying one pound a month versus a, and when you doubled it there really wasn't much benefit okay we're gonna there's gonna be more to this in a second but that's the color ratings okay so of course when you're applying soluble nitrogen to turf grass 
you know, in the, in the winter or in the fall and winter, you're going to have some benefit to that in terms of color, because there's going to be some days in the winter and the fall that aren't frozen. They're going to be, it's going to be slightly warm. And that, that nitrogen, that soluble nitrogen is sitting there ready to be taken up versus say a slow release nitrogen source that requires some either microbial degradation or uh, osmotic diffusion or whatever case might be it's going to be a little slower to start releasing that but the soluble nitrogen is, is just is sitting there assuming that you didn't have any runoff or movement offsite movement and um and it has the potential to be taken up on warm days and you see basically that that's what he's going to postulate is what happened and you see the increase up here okay and it stayed high throughout the winter but there was no real benefit to applying two pounds beyond applying one pound okay See, okay, so um, we're up here. Okay, okay, so we already did that. No measurable top growth occurred from December to March. Okay, no measurable top growth occurred from December through March. So we're seeing better color. So when he says there's no measurable top growth, what he's talking about is, is this right here in, in, in figure two. There's no measurable top from December through March. So percentage of highest treatment. So this let's see the march is right here and december is right here so when you see when you're talking about the, the growth or whatever there was no um let's see clipping yields of bent grass at martinsville as affected by fall and winter in fertilization no clippings were removed from december through march so there's a, oh i see he cut he, they cut the they cut the the graph right here so they did a they did a break in the graph right here so there was no growth at all between see where that you see where you see these two little lines here that means they dissected the, the x-axis and there was no there was no clippings at all so the grass didn't continue to grow just because you applied nitrogen it had better color but the growth didn't change from december through march that's sort of the take-home message on on that point okay seasonal carbohydrate uh, seasonal carbohydrate accumulation trends well that's a four good grief seasonal carbohydrate accumulation trends in leaves and stems for bent grass and fescue were similar but magnitudes differ so and he's going to talk about figure three and figure four so let's look at figure three and figure four because if you've heard before you know the, the carbohydrates accumulate in the um in the in this in the roots or the stems of the of the of the plant this is a little bit of, i can't get it all yeah this is a little bit about where that comes from this is carbohydrate percentage dry matter on the y-axis and then, then months on the x-axis. And what we're looking at is the difference between the carbohydrates of stems versus the carbohydrates in the leaves as time changes from October all the way through May. And you'll see that, and this is a bent grass with low on the left and high on the right levels of fall. So on the low, they're basically the same, they're just different magnitude. You'll see that more carbohydrates exist in the stems than in the leaves. That's basically a take-home message here. Okay, there's changes. The carbohydrates go up until December, January, and then they start to decline, and from January basically all the way to May. And he's going to explain kind of why that why that occurred. But this is a little bit of information about there's more carbohydrates in the stems, not twice as much, but you're talking about leaves. You have thirty percent, uh, around thirty percent in December, and in the stems you have forty percent, roughly speaking. And then they start to decline. So there's storage of carbohydrates in certain organs or certain parts of the, of the turf as opposed to other. That's, that's kind of how it works. They store carbohydrates and then they use those carbohydrates for, um, for photosynthesis. 
or for for um for synthesis but also for uh, metabolization of nitrogen if you've ever um there's a guy who lives in the brooks range in alaska i can't remember his name now somebody can probably remember if you remember it he he um he lives by himself in the brooks range in alaska god i can't remember his name anyway he only eats meat he hunts he lives by himself he hunts um, you know elk or you know he he survives on the land and one of his biggest challenges is uh carbohydrates because he has no sugar so he there's no car, there's no rice or bread or anything he has to eat nothing but meat there's a, he i don't even know if he has any vegetables or anything but he has to eat the fat from the animal that's the one of the most important things for him to eat because he can't metabolize the protein from the meat without carbohydrates that's sort of how it works in animals in order to metabolize the protein i'm not an animal physiologist but my understanding is you have to in order to metabolize the proteins you have to use carbohydrates to do that. Well, he's not consuming any carbohydrates except from fat. So he, the fat is very important to him. And it's the same, why is that important here? It's the same thing here. Whenever we apply nitrogen and there's going, they're going to be creating um, amino acids and proteins and, and metabolizing nitrogen, there are carbohydrate skeletons, is oftentimes some, what you'll hear, that are needed to, for that metabolization of that nitrogen. It, you must have it. So in the absence of carbohydrates, you're not going to be able to to metabolize nitrogen so in some cases during and some you'll see this here in some uh times during the year the when there's nitrogen available and there's photosynthesis occurring they need the carbohydrates to the plant needs the carbohydrates and so they'll deplete carbohydrates from the stems and the roots from other organelles other organs of the plant uh for use during those times of year but when carbohydrate when photosynthesis is high and carbohydrates are high in the leaves you won't necessarily deplete things from the roots if you've already if you already have a supply of it from photosynthesis Again, I'm not a plant physiologist, but that's my understanding. So keep that in mind is that the carbohydrates are necessary for the metabolization of nitrogen and the production of proteins and amino acids. And if the plant has plenty of those in the roots, then it's sort of, it's a reserve carbohydrate, basically what it is. They can pull those whenever they need them. Okay. That's a brief little, you know, that's, that's my understanding. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but that's my understanding of how it works. Um, Okay. <clears throat> so during fall and winter seasons, highest carbohydrates occurred in stems, but during spring, the leaves were as high or higher in carbohydrates than the stems. So that's basically what I said. The highest carbohydrates occurred in the stems during the fall and winter. So in other words, it's storing carbohydrates in the, in the stems. And then in the spring, when the plant starts to, to photosynthesize and starts to grow a little bit, the, the carbohydrates were highest in the leaves. Carbohydrate accumulation in bent grass stems as shown by the low and high nitrogen treatments differed somewhat at two locations. Okay, figure five, which is what we right here. Okay, it's differed somewhat. I'll get to that in a second. The carbohydrates increased slowly until January, but then decreased until late spring. Carbohydrates were generally higher with low than with high in fertilization, but the opposite occurred during February and late May in Martinsville. Okay, so let's go down here to, to, to figure five. The figure five is, yeah, there we go. Okay, figure five. These are the two locations. We have dates on the x-axis, months, October through May, and then we have carbohydrates just like we had before, except for now we're looking at just the T1, which is the one pound in October, versus the T5, which is the two pounds monthly. And we're looking at the differences in carbohydrates. So when a little bit of nitrogen is applied, the 
plant has more carbohydrates. And when a lot of nitrogen is applied, the plant, in this case, had fewer carbohydrates. Okay, and the, the idea is, just like I mentioned, whenever you're applying nitrogen and you're increasing the growth rate or the chlorophyll or what, whatever, they, whatever it is that you're, you're doing with the nitrogen, increase in proteins and, and amino acids, it has to pull the carbohydrates from somewhere. So it's pulling the carbohydrates out of the plant to metabolize that nitrogen. And you see the higher rates of nitrogen, the T5 being right here, having fewer carbohydrates. Okay, for the most part, that's what you find even in Martinsville. There's a little bit of cross here, but you know you do see it re reduced carbohydrates at the higher end rates. Okay, that's what he's saying. Okay, to better understand, I'm right here, to better understand carbohydrate fluctuations in winter met met metabolic activity, net photosynthesis rates for bent grass were determined on two cold days. So he goes into the explaining photosynthesis and what he did, and that's down here on this graph. So what, what he's saying on this graph, figure seven, is that you'll see T5 again right here, okay, and you'll see T1, and don't worry about T6s, nothing. This is the warm day. Okay, you'll see the air temperatures here is are 40 to 60 degrees, and then he did it on a cold day. And so basically showing the difference in cold and warm, the temperature on photosynthesis. And you'll see the photosynthesis was much higher at the high end rate than on the on the low end rate. So when one pound was applied in October, the photosynthesis was uh, roughly, I don't know, 250 uh, milligrams of carbon dioxide per plot per hour. That's a, that's, again, that's a, that unit is different than what we'd use today. But um and the T5 was roughly twice that, or a little bit more than twice that. Okay, so you're increasing the photosynthesis by applying more nitrogen. You're reducing the carbohydrates by applying more nitrogen. Pretty straightforward, okay? This is one reason why this paper is so well cited and referred back to, because he did a lot of basic work, and he didn't, he, he, did, he didn't just say, hey, I did this, and this is what I found. He did this, and this is what I found, and this is also more work as to why we think we found what we found, which it's a, good, it's a really good paper. Okay, I'm gonna. Go, I'm just gonna kind of go through this paragraph and explain it. Um, it, it maybe I don't need to, but let's just get through it. Preliminary and unpublished. This reason I don't like reading it because unpublished research is a, evidentiarily the, the equivalent of opinion. But whatever. Um, during 1964-65, Winter had shown that soluble end sources applied biweekly. So every other week, I'm assuming by biweekly. Um, from October to March, maintained desirable winter foliage on bent grass. So what he's saying is real simple. He applied a little bit of soluble nitrogen every other week from October to March, and it and it and it provided the, it, it maintained desirable winter foliage. He didn't publish that, but that's what he's saying. Also, this slow release in source applied only in October caused a desirable caused a desirable turf color the subsequent winter, as observed during two previous winters. So he didn't get what he wanted the first year, but the subsequent winter it did. October applications of UF, this is another slow release, during these winter seasons did not, I'm sorry, did not give good winter color. So this UF product, which was up here in this, this table, I didn't really go over that, but UF, urea formaldehyde, is a finely ground slow, okay, so it goes, so UF is urea formaldehyde, that's good, he used the same acronym we used today. Um, so it says urea formaldehyde, during these winter seasons did not give good winter color during uh, apparently because of slow in release as a result of restricted microbial activity at low temperatures so if you've heard anybody say 
during the fall and well i wouldn't say in the winter but during the fall you want to use soluble nitrogen sources at low lower you know reasonable rates you want you don't want to go crazy with it one reason is what he's stating right here in 1967 they they did work with uf it didn't provide what they were hoping to provide at least the, the first year uh, because it was it was too slow it was too cold it wasn't the microbes were not able to release some of that nitrogen and um, the turf grass was not desirable it was not they we today we would say acceptable the turf grass was not acceptable um, because it was too slow and it was too cold whereas the soluble land sources did result in acceptable turf grass although measurable top growth did not occur during winter in the experiments reported here Soluble in applied during fall and winter increased metabolic activity in leaf tissues as evidenced by color improvement, high photosynthesis, and slow carbohydrate depletion during winter. So he's just saying exactly what I just said. The soluble in sources provided a nitrogen when the when it was when the plant was able to take it up. Whereas if it was too cold, even if it did warm up, the slow release in sources were not, or the UF and the reformaldehyde in this case. Um, did not provide sufficient soluble nitrogen to during even during periods of slow warmth. And you'll see this, he mentions this here briefly, I think. Soluble in must be available to maintain green turf foliage during winter. I don't know if that's necessarily true nowadays, but you know, it's fine. Chlorophyll content was not measured, but chlorophyll has been correlated with visual color ratings. When soluble in was applied in October, the turf became very brown by January. If the October application was followed by monthly or bi-monthly in applications, then excellent foliage, col foliage color was maintained throughout the winter. So he's saying one application in October wasn't enough. Um, if you applied a little bit uh, monthly or bi-monthly, then it was enough. Okay, of soluble in, but slow release wasn't um, didn't didn't provide the, the color that he was looking for. And here we go. Slow release sources of nitrogen may also be used if their end release is not restricted by low temperatures. So that'd be thing like things like IBDU. And in this case, he used a UHC, which it says un, is, is released by hydrolysis, unpublished information from Sun. Okay. The low soil temperature do not seriously limit end release from that product. So I'm just assuming it's like IBDU. I could be wrong. Although end release from urea is restricted. This may be this may be overcome by applying higher rates of UF monthly or bimonthly since UF is 10% soluble. So basically what he's saying in this paragraph is you might be able to get by with UF, but you'd have to apply a lot of it because some portion of it is uh, water soluble. Okay. Now, this has no um, there's no bearing or no interest whatsoever in this project as to what will occur. Um, you know, what would be the adverse consequences of this? What would be the unintended consequences of applying high rates of nitrogen? He's saying, yeah, you could get by with slow release, but you'd have to apply a lot of it. Today, and on, even on, like I said, on Monday, the author coming on Monday is going to, well, I don't know what he's going to say, but the, the paper is going to talk about, well, you could do that, but here's what may happen. You know, you're probably not going to get as much in the, the plant as you might expect. And if, if it's not in the plant and you applied it, it's somewhere else, basically. And that is increasing our risk. It's reducing your efficacy, your efficient use of your money. You bought something, you applied it, it's not in the plant. That's not what we want. That's not what you want as a business person either or a homeowner. It appears that late fall and winter applications of nitrogen do not seriously deplete reserve carbohydrate materials. Conversely, carbohydrate depletion is common when nitrogen is applied during periods of rapid top growth. So remember, this paper was started off by 
trying to address the concern back then that nitrogen applied in the fall might deplete carbohydrates and result in the plant being weaker or more susceptible to diseases or winter or whatever the case is. And he's saying, we didn't see that. Okay. We, we didn't see that. I mean, there was some depletion, um, at very, very high rates relative to one pound, but it wasn't serious. It wasn't particularly serious. You saw a reduction anyway. Now, one thing they didn't include was they did not include a non-treated uh, control. You know, that there's, we don't know what would happen then, but that might not have been biologically relevant because, uh, it, you know, I don't know what they were doing back in the sixties, but they, it may have been standard back then to apply a little something. High nitrogen fertilization probably will not always cause faster carbohydrate depletion during winter. As indicated by Martinsville to carbohydrate data, high rates of photosynthesis must be occurring on the greener plots to diminish carbohydrate depletion during February. Little energy was needed for growth, which was restricted by low temperature. Thus, more photosynthesis were produced in plants receiving high end and less energy was utilized. Okay. So basically what he's saying is, they applied nitrogen, they applied a lot of it, but they didn't get a lot of growth because the cold, it was so cold, it restricted the plant from growing fast, but it did provide some greening. That's basically the, what he's saying. You can apply nitrogen in, in at some point, the temperature is going to be the restricting factor in terms of growth. It just didn't grow a lot, even in the presence of high nitrogen because it was so cold. In early spring, however, carbohydrates were higher in leaves than in stems, and in some instances, indicating that less reserve energy was needed at that time. Enough energy was possibly being fixed through photosynthesis to counterbalance the amount required for growth, respiration, and other metabolic processes. So what he's sim real simple, I mean, he says it very clearly, is that at that time of year, photosynthesis was so high that the plant didn't need to pull it from the plant, the, the storage of the plant. The reserve carbohydrates that were in the plant it was able to use what was being generated through photosynthesis available carbohydrates generally increased from october to january for all in rates but then decreased until early may the large reduction in spring is probably associated with fast root and top growth the lack of top growth in early winter would account for the carbohydrate increases so it's real, I mean, it's basically, it's one of the, it's counterbalancing each other. If you're getting, if you're not getting a lot of growth, then it's not, it's not needing a lot of carbohydrates. <coughs> and then when you get a lot of growth, if it's photosynthesizing and getting a lot of growth, then it can use some of the carbohydrates from photosynthesis. If it needs to, it can pull from the plant and use some of the reserve carbohydrates. Okay. Okay, when growth is reduced by low-end fertility, reserve carbohydrates will accumulate. So that's basically what I'm saying. If you're not using a lot of carbohydrates, it will accumulate. When you're using a lot of carbohydrates, it'll, it'll pull from it if it needs to. If it's not getting enough from photosynthesis, it will pull from the reserve. It is likely, therefore, that net I'm sorry, carbon dioxide fixation actually occurs during the warmer days of winter while growth is checked. Okay, so... He's not saying it for certainty, but, you know, photosynthesis or carbohydrate, I'm sorry, carbon dioxide fixation is occurring even when growth isn't necessarily occurring at a rate high enough to mow it, at least because it's so cold. However, previous night temperatures may be more important than day temperatures. Also, high end availability during these warm periods would be beneficial to plants by inducing high photosynthetic rates and subsequent carbohydrate increase. So if you've ever heard like we go by nighttime temperatures or the nighttime average temperatures 
or you want to look at those nighttime average temperatures or whatever the case is rather than the day temperatures uh, this is one this is in 67 where he's saying this might be the case previous night temperatures may be more important than day temperatures okay you have to understand this is you know 50 years ago they didn't know what we know today and so he's saying well this is kind of what i found the night temperatures seem to be more influential than the day temperatures so you know be aware of that and then that's how we progress somebody else comes along and finds a project and finds some money and does it figures out yes we that is true or no it's not true Okay, so last two paragraphs, we're going to close this off. Late fall and winter infertilization practices are not usually used on turf because, okay, this is in 67. Don't say it's, you know, not today, but in 67, late fall and winter were not used because it is commonly accepted, it was commonly accepted that liberal nitrogen reduces soluble carbohydrate reserves in grasses, thus making turf vulnerable to low temperature injury. That was one reason why they why they didn't use it back then. Even with and number two, even with good management, hardy grasses usually turn brown during winter. That was reason number two. And reason number three: succulent turf is considered susceptible to low temperature pathogens. So these were all the beliefs back then. Okay, that's why he went out to do this study was to see. Okay, well, what's actually going on? We're not applying anything in the fall. Why? Well, this is why. Well. You know, reserve reduces carbohydrates and lends itself more susceptible to damage. But based on this research for Virginia latitudes, liberal nitrogen does not seriously reduce soluble carbohydrates in bent grass or fescue during late fall and winter because low temperatures restrict top growth much more than photosynthesis. Grasses fertilized with nitrogen during winter made little or no winter top growth, but the turf was of excellent quality. Snow mold, he talks about snow mold. Um but none, none was found on the experimental turf. Okay. So <clears throat> the take home message on that paper is that, you know, applying, applying nitrogen in the fall or in the late winter, um, did not harm the turf. Okay. Now, whether or not it's harming something else, <laughs> we're going to find out <laughs> whether or not there's more a concern or more, something else you need to be worried about is, is another paper that we're going to talk about um early next week on monday but when in regards to the turf uh, can i go out in october or september or november and apply nitrogen is it going to hurt my turf sound it might sound a little bit it's cool season turf it might sound a little bit peculiar today it's like well no and i'm not thinking it would hurt my turf well back then they did you have to understand the mindset back then was don't apply anything in the fall because you're going to weaken the grass you're going to increase growth rate to such a degree you're going to weaken the grass and it could cause problems. Well, Dr. Powell's work refuted that, saying we didn't see any damage to the turf. We didn't see any um, snow mold. Um, we didn't see much growth at all. We saw greener grass. We saw, um, um, you know, the, the, car- the carbohydrates weren't depleted. It wasn't like stripping everything out of the grass because the grass wasn't growing. It was so cold. Okay. So you will likely, at least on these two grasses in Virginia, you will likely have a little bit greener grass, probably not a lot of growth because it's so cold or it was back then. Um, it went applying soluble nitrogen in the fall, but <laughs> keep in mind in research, we do crazy things. Sometimes he was applying two pounds in every month, 10 pounds total throughout the fall and winter. And he found that 
it did it did provide better quality than applying one pound in October. But he also applied one pound every month rather than two pounds every month. And the one pound every month basically was the same as the two pounds every month. So I'm not saying, nor is or nor would Dr. Powell say, I think if he was alive there, I think he would agree. We're not saying go out and apply two pounds every month in the fall and winter. He's not saying that. We do crazy things in in in, in research because he's he's basically saying, what's the worst case scenario? Someone's going to go out and apply two pounds every month. No one would do that. Well, maybe let's do that. Let's go out there and see if we can really kill it. You know, let's see if we can really push it and push it and push it until it just so, so stripped out, it'll die, you know? And even with that, they didn't find that at all. Okay. So, so when you back that up, back it up from an extreme amount of nitrogen to more, um, you know, appropriate amounts of nitrogen being one pound in September, one pound in October, something like that, or, you know, one or two pounds in the fall, there's very little chance, if any chance at all, that you would find some sort of harm. You would, re- would result in some sort of harm to your turf is the take home message that he found. So it's not going to hurt your turf if you apply nitrogen in the fall or even in the winter. But um, don't take that as a recommendation because I'm not recommending applying nitrogen in the winter. Once once uh, cell division and, and, and cell elongation stop, so dormancy, there's no point in applying nitrogen. I don't care if it's soluble or slow release um, because one, you're going to be reducing your profit, you know, because you're not going to, you're going to apply something. You're not going to see a benefit from it for a long time, at least. And two, you're going to be increasing the environmental risk to a great extent. Okay. So um, that's the take home message. You're not going to harm your turf, but you might harm, uh, might harm some other stuff, which is what we're going to find in the future paper. Now keep in mind next the remainder of this week is going to be fall fertility for cool season grasses. Don't forget next Monday, uh, we have a guest talking about the potential ramifications of potential and what's going to happen to the plant. How much will the plant actually take up? They're going to, he's going to be using N15 labeled nitrogen during the fall to see how much actually gets taken up in the plant. Let me see the, if there's any questions um, before I go. Uh, Dr. Soldat has best fall fertilization research to date. In my opinion, I would enjoy you both to discuss it. Well, Randy, I encourage you to show up on Monday at 11 AM. <laughs> okay. You might get your wish on Monday guys. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for t- participating in chat. Look forward to seeing you all tomorrow. Thanks. Have a great day. Bye-bye.